ahead of it. So first, we're going to speak a little bit about the yeshiva, what it was, um, in what sense was it the first yeshiva, and so on. It was the closest Talmud to the Goyen. He spoke to the Goyen Bechayov that he wanted to make yeshiva, um, did not encourage him to do so, and he founded the yeshiva in 1803, which was after the Goyen's Petira. A lot of stories why, um, but he himself wrote a letter, uh, a long letter, a Kol Kaire, um, for people to give money to the yeshiva, to, to come to the yeshiva, and he said basically that Lefanim, there was people sat and learned, they wanted to learn, it became very, very um, dissolute, people stopped learning, and so on, and now he says there's a door, there's a tzimon for Torah, and there's missing place, and so on and so forth. And therefore he calls on people to help both to come teach, which is very strange what he meant with that, and to give money. Um, somebody actually took him off on the offer to come teach, another Rav, and Reb Chaim told him, I'd be very happy to give you the entire yeshiva, but Shutfus is not a good idea for yeshiva. Very interesting. I, I, I don't know exactly what he meant. People should come help and be, and be malamed. But basically it was a revolution for a few reasons. First of all, like we spoke last time, yeshivas used to be local and this was meant to be for everybody, for people to come from wide and far. Two, um, yeshivas until his time was sent around a person, the person was nifted, yeshiva went, he himself um, was um, he himself made an institution that sh should survive him. Third, um, yeshivas usually were supported locally. The point of yeshiva was that the local community would support the Bahrim. He went and started collecting from round and, and about from people all over. Those were three big changes. The Sidra yeshiva were extremely different than our Sidra yeshiva. I mean, people who talk about it as if our yeshiva sort of melded in from, from Volozhin, it, it's, it's not true. Um, in terms of the institution, yes. In the terms of a makom, yes. But the Sidra yeshivas were extremely different. First of all, there was a share in the afternoon that started in Brachis and ended in Nida. That was one. Two, the, um, most of the Oilam Everyone learned their own Nesechta. The going to the Shia was um, voluntary, and most people would learn on their own. And, and as when you came to Volozhin, they the Gabbai would ask you, what Nesechta do you want to learn? You would tell him, and he would bring you that Nesechta. Remember, in those days, Shasim were extremely expensive, and Bimela, um, there, were no, there were towns that did not have a complete Shas, and uh, and this changed it. They actually had a special printing for it. So everybody would be learning, most people would be learning their own mesechtas. They would have a pace of how, how fast to learn. And Lamaisa, the, um, in the morning, there's supposed to be iron like five blood, in the afternoon, they're supposed to learn six blood a week. And that's how they learned. What was in it? So Tachlis, in what sense was it a yeshiva? First of all, there was a cold Torah, and there were a lot of people sitting and learning together. 
tremendous with, with, with tremendous hasmada. That was one. Two, the Rosh Hashiva would come down and he would walk and people would ask him questions on whatever Masech they were learning. Uh, Rosh Hashiva had to know Shas, basically, to be able to answer everybody. That, that was the signal over there. Um, he opened the Yeshiva. He, he was able to um, get Talmidim. He opened it in 1803. Now, there was another event that coincided with 1803. Possibly the reason why he um, the reason why he opened it. We spoke last time about the Tsar swallowing up all these countries. He gave the Tsar made all sorts of takanis for the Jews, and one of the takanis was that they could have their own schools. So, so it was a time. Normally, things were very restricted. They did give they did give some sort of loophole that allowed for the founding of, of schools. It may have been that was a reason. Al Kapanim, he himself um, opened the yeshiva. He was the Rosh Hashiva, and he was Nifter in 1820. He had about a hundred Talmidim when he was Nifter, and the yeshiva was considered to be very successful in the sense it, was, it created a large body of people sitting on Rasmada, and many of them actually going on to take on positions that were Hashiv. In the end, it, it lasted. In, in almost a hundred years, uh, ninety years or so, uh, it lemaisa anybody chashev kimat went through velozhin, but the, it was probably the other way around. There was anyone chashev went to velozhin to learn. That was the place to learn. So basically, he wanted dibur chaverim, hasmada, and a shimush of arav to have that people would have a rosh hashiva to look up to and to learn from. He himself wrote Sfarim. Um, most of the Sfarim he didn't really care for. He wasn't so... He put out Shuvah Sefer, he had Chidushim that were burnt and he didn't really pay attention. The only Sefer that he really cared about was Nefesh Chaim. We'll speak about that later when we talk about Reb Chaim Velazh per se. His son Reb Itzel took over um, when he was Nifta and that set into motion the idea of continuity. Of, of having a, a Rosh Hashiva take over from his father and so on. And he brought it up to 200 Talmidim. Um, he was Nifter in 1849. The, now, Reb Itzala himself was an Adam Gadol He stands a bit in his father's shadow, but he was of his father's cut in many ways. And people saw it that way. People readily accepted him as a Mamshich. He was considered to be an Adam Gadol as a, of his father's stature. Reb Itzel of Elazhin, in his days, in, in, the, um, in the 1840s, they started having Xeris. The Tsar took an unnatural interest in the Jews, and they started the Xeris. Ketanistan came in his time. Xeris about education, and v'chula, v'chula, v'chula. we'll talk about that in a minute. And Reb Itzala was key in being involved with um, other Gedolei Yisrael at Asifis and so on in, in trying to either answer, the Tsar would call an Asifa and they would have to try in, in the most diplomatically possible to explain why the real, really what the Tsar wants is something else and Bechulu, uh, Bechulu, Bechulu but he was him and um, the Tzemar was, was used to come there and, and it was 
there was a um, he was very he, he was involved in a lot of public stuff. He died in 1849, and the first beginning of problems started because it wasn't clear who would take over. What would happen in Volozhin was, first of all, they had a Rosh Hashiva and they had an assistant to the Rosh Hashiva. And the assistant would help the Rosh Hashiva. The, the descendants, it wasn't clear, he, his son did not take over, so it was a question of having son-in-laws. Once you have son-in-laws, the question is, which one, how far back do you go? Bechulu, bechulu, bechulu. For a short while, there was Freed, Lezuda Freed, Elias Yitzhak, sorry. And it was a short Kufa, and then the second big personality to take over, who is probably most identified with Volozhin, is the Nitziv took over afterwards. Nitziv was married to, uh, uh, he was Revitzel as a son-in-law, and he basically, in other words, he married Chaim Volozhin's grandson, and he became Rosh the granddaughter, and he became Rosh Hashiva. Um, there were other people who proposed their candidacy, and there were all sorts of issues, machloikis, tainus. It was not clear who would be the who is the one that we royal. Most famous is in the he had with, uh, with the Beis Halevi. A lot written about it. Um, Talmidim also were involved, and some of the problems that came up in Volozhin were as follows. First of all, Talmidim. Um, Got, were very involved. They felt they were Torah, They felt they were old, and they took sides. Never, never a very good matzav, but they got involved and stoked the fires a lot. That was one problem in Volozhin, and it would continue to be a problem. Secondly, this was a time when in Volozhin, when in, the, in Europe, there was the beginning of a lot of movements, Chovetzian um, movements, Haskola movements. The, the, the Hashkoch in Yeshiva was limited to people should be sitting and learning during Starim, and basically there were things they shouldn't be doing, should be doing, but Bachem ran their own lives. There were little groups of Chovet Zion supporters. Nest Ziona was a group. Um, there was all sorts of Haskalah groups. There were a lot of small groups of people doing their own thing, some of which was sort of quite outrageous. And there is a collection of memoirs written by Yeshiva Bachrim, um, also an academic thing. And by nature, those those are those works tend to be masculinic. Rebaran Kotler didn't write memoirs; the people who wrote memoirs, but were were of a different cut. So you do get a certain bias flavor. But Lamashal. Somebody named Berdyshevsky, who was a became later a very great secular writer and so on, and um, totally secular, wrote um, notes about the mysterious Nefesh Rebachrim, reading Haskola works and knowing that if they get caught, they'll be thrown out, and the, the lens they have to go to, and so on and so forth. It's quite astounding that somebody sat in yeshiva and was was undermining yeshiva, the, and and uh, that was th those were two problems that were endemic within the yeshiva. A three, there was no clear line of succession. The Bachrim were very involved in the politics, and the Bachrim also, there was all sorts of undercurrents of, of things going on. There were Shalikisijan, and some of these Bachrim were Masmidim, but 
the days were gone and, and that was how it went. The next part of it was, and this was a tragic piece, the, um, there were, the Maskilim were not happy. They wanted to change Kal Yisrael. They tried doing it by establishing their own schools. Their own schools were, their own higher schools, their own seminaries were abject failures by all standards. A club. Their rabbinic seminars were, were horrible disasters in every, in every prat, uh, Yiddishkeit for sure, and even academically. So they wanted the government to force Volozhin to do what they want, and they were not above mastering the government. They kept going to the government, telling them that you know they, they need to to make drastic changes because they're growing up fanatic people. And somebody actually tried to incriminate the Nitziv that he forged stuff. He he wrote a letter with the Nitziv's handwriting. I tried to write in his handwriting. That, that he's getting money from England and he is, you know, 100,000 sterling going here, 100,000 pounds there, and and then he gave it to the police. And he was interrogated in it came out clean. It was, you know, uh, they, they, after, after interrogating him, they realized but, but that was where Talmudim stooped to. Unfortunately, it had many, many problems. Um, on the other hand, the learning in the in Dasmada was incredible. They used to have Mishmoros to learn all day, you know, all day and all night. The Nitziv himself used to give a chumash every day. This was a Masora start of Chaim Volozhin. Yet when the when the, when the yeshiva was located in 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 the in the shul uh, of the community, Rabbi Itzala continued it, and the Nitziv said it. This is where Hemikdava comes from. And it was in, incredibly, the positive side of Volazhin was incredible. Um, the, the, all the Gdali Yisrael of that Kufa all learned in Volazhin. Uh, this was the place for anybody who wanted to learn and was a Balkishan could learn. The, um, the, the end of Volazhin came unfortunately, now there was a before the end, one other thing happened. Um, Reb Chaim Briska married into the family. He married a granddaughter of Nitziv. One of the one of the fascinating twists of, of, of history of Ashkocha, and he became part of the yeshiva, and he Lemaisa, if he was there um, from 1880 onwards, and in those years, his derech halimut conquered the place. The the, the Bachram were enamored with it. Most of them were, were extremely taken by it. I mean, you know, it was Abraham, and Lemaisa. Those dozen years or so that he was there created that change, uh, uh, that new derech and learning. Nitziv himself was not particularly into it. Nitziv himself was old school, um, but Lemaisa, um, Reb Chaim introduced it in the at the in the 1890s, in the 1880s, 90s. The, the Zark, they kept on making new and new takanis. As long as nobody was paying attention, basically they wanted they should be limudei chol there, so they had a class. The Nitziv himself, his hashkafa about limudei chol was more ambivalent. A, he felt that a yeshiva should not have limudei chol. He felt you can't become a gadol b'teira if you learn limudei chol. But he felt there was something to it. He felt that the teachers were terrible teachers. That they were that the maskilim were were, were out. So he rather took Goyesha teachers 
and basically told them to you know leave theology back you know and to teach Russian and he felt you know as, as so they did have quote-unquote classes in a different room with a dozen Bachrim who you know they, they, they funfitted along and then it's himself like I said he wasn't fundamentally opposed to the but he was opposed that a yeshiva should have it he he also felt you it's it's for somebody who doesn't want it, who's not Tarosim Nasa, it's not bad. He felt that the, the teachers are a terrible problem. You have to get kosher teachers. That was his, he writes it, and he has this true vision of it. Lemaise, the insiders, the, you know, it, 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 the, the people who were Lahashmed Laharug, the Yidnu Lahashmed Laharug, they, they kept on mastering that, you know, it's not going well. And the government wrote in, they, they sent them Xera the, the following. The yeshiva, they can, they must have until three o'clock in the afternoon. They can't have more than ten hours uh, uh, learning. Uh, at night, there's not to be any learning. The teachers who teach in the, in the yeshiva all have to have diplomas. Basically, they shut down the yeshiva. There was nothing to do. And in 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 1892, they closed down the yeshiva. Um, it was it was a devastating blow to the Nziv personally, and it was. It I mean, it closed Volozhin. Volozhin had a small kiyom because somebody named Brodsky, who was a big uh, sugar merchant, wealthy man, had was miyasad a kolol of younger light to learn there. He gave them five years of a very, very large stipend. They were not part of the yeshiva officially. They were sort of part of the yeshiva. They were allowed to stay because they had nothing to do with the school per se. And they stayed around. The yeshiva opened up later, uh, they were able to sort of wiggle it out again, but that was it, the Bachram had left, and many, many other yeshivas grew on the Cheshmer of, of uh, the Bachram went to everywhere else, Abotka, um, Demir, and, and so on, but it dissolved, I mean, that was the end of Volozhin, and afterwards it was a, t a tiny place, never grew more than 50, 60, 70 people, under the Shapiros, of Chaim Walkin, but it, w it was nothing, it, w it, was a, it was a shadow of itself. A little bit about the personalities involved and um, the two great figures that we have uh, the three great figures are Reb Chaim Volozhin uh, the, the, the Netziv and Reb Chaim Briska they were the three huge figures in, in Volozhin and they were, we, we should spend a few minutes talking about each one Reb Chaim Volozhin was the Goyen's Talmud Muvhak um, he for us, he serves as a bridge to the Vilna Goyen. We have no shaykhs on Zen of Vilna Goyen. We, we have no shaykhs to measure his greatness, his anhogis. It, it's, it's, it's presumptuous for anybody to say things about the Goyen. Reb Chaim was his Talmud Muvuk, and Reb Chaim was the person who spoke in Pshat. Reb Chaim spoke for us, and the things that he writes about the Goyen are the most reliable ones. His stories, maybe we'll have time, I, I don't know where or when, we'll, we'll, I mean, I photocopied his introduction to the Goyen's period on Safir at Sniyasa, where he writes about the Goyen, and, his, and, and, and these, these Reb Chaim Volozhin's stories about the Goyen are, are, are the best we have. 90% of the stories are about his Igiya Satira. There's only one Maifas there, that has to do with the Gizatar, but that's it. His stories are all about how hard he worked to be Oymir Ala Emes. Reb Chaim Volozhin himself was a Baal Pshat, and he was, 
he, and like I said before, his shurim, he said shurim, didn't bother, he wrote it down, it was burnt, he didn't pay much attention to it. He saw his life's work as the yeshiva and in Nefesh HaChaim. On his deathbed, he was mitzvah, his son, make sure the yeshiva continues and make sure to publish Nefesh HaChaim. Nefesh HaChaim is a fascinating sefer. It's the, it's the answer, I'll pee, let's call it Pneumius of Torah, for the literature world vis-a-vis the Chassidish world. It's the only articulated argument as opposed to Haramim and Klolis and, you know, Pachkevillin of sorts. He wrote a sefer that's Hashkafas Yisait vis-a-vis Kabbalah and Pneumius of Torah. And the three, um, and the three things, he, he has three prokim plus another un, un, um, unnumbered peric. And basically, those three prokim are really the three big arguments against what he felt Hasidus might be mistaken for or whatever. First of all, his first peric he writes, his main point is kavanis are wonderful. But the mitzvah starts with a ma'isa mitzvah. If you fudge a ma'isa mitzvah, you have zero. If you fudge kavanas, you have a ma'isa mitzvah, but you don't have it b'shleimus. That was vis-a-vis the chesidim and the atainus of, um, you know, of of uh, having a, um, you know, of, of the kavana being most important. He said pnimis atayra is a quality in tayra, but the real, but tayra itself is is nigla. And learning halacha and being mekayim halacha is is the absolute sinquanan of Yiddishkeit. Without that, nothing starts. Anything above that is a teisefes bracha. But that's it. And therefore, to reverse it and to learn musr or pnimius or whatever you want to call it or kabbalah and not learn halacha is worthless. And to do mitzvahs with tremendous kavanas but to mess up on the zman and so on and so forth is worthless. That's aleph. Beis. The concept of Akadosh Baruch is to be found everywhere. Again, he's he's he, he he's he's addressing a mistake where you can sit and do shtusim vavolim and say Akadosh Baruch is everywhere and everything, and he basically says yes, Akadosh Baruch is everywhere, but he's not everywhere for us. And there's mekoymis betunafis, and there's mekoymis of kedusha, and we need to look at things through our eyes, and and things that are good are good other things as far as we're concerned the Gretzbro is not there for us basically that's the bottom line a third topic he addresses very strongly is that learning Torah doesn't mean not enjoying the learning and lear- learning and enjoying it is very much part and parcel of Torah and chas v'shalom that you learn Torah as a religious ecstasy of Tveikas those are the three main points that he makes in the Sefer, which is there to counter the argument of the Chassidim. He, 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 he builds up a Hashkafa using Mekairis of Kabbalah. They can be understood on a fairly Pashat level, so that it can be a handbook for anybody, a sort of in a certain sense parallel to the Tanya, a handbook for people to understand a picture of Vayris Hashem, I'll be a certain premius. It also, he also defines some very deep things, but the Sefer on its face of it is, is a Sefer written for anyone who is a Bentayr and so on and so forth. Um, in, his personal, in, in his personal interaction with Hasidim, um, somebody, there was a Hasidish Shabbat who learned in Volozhin al Chabad. I mean, the Hasidish Shabbat was called Chabad because that was the Hasidish here. Um, they were actually Kapusta, not, not, not Lubavitch, but Kapusta. 
he was amazed. He said, Rebchaim is very mekarach Chesidosh Abachim. Um, he welcomes them. He sometimes schmoozes with them in Chesidus. He asked them. He said he just doesn't talk about the Goyen's Chayrim. It's as if it never existed. And Rebitzela used to learn this firm. And that's what he writes. And, and historically, we, we accept that the Chayrim is not again now because of Chayim. What he understood, why he understood, uh, we don't know. Anything is a guess, uh, anything is a guess to say about that. So Reb Chaim Velazhen gave us the yeshiva. He was the mamshech of the Goyen's Derech in Pshat. Um, his, he was mekubal as, the, as, as a, a godlador. His nefesh Chaim has become the basis for our, the way we look at, 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 at the relationship of Pnimis of Torah, of, of Nister, vis-a-vis Nigla. It's interesting, in the yeshiva itself, there was no learning of Kabbalah and these in Yonim, but many of the of the Cheshuvim did learn it. It was considered always something to be learned quietly, something not to be talked about in public, and so on and so forth. He's the first one, so he's the, the first one to to be, you know, the first personality that established uh, a Volazhin. The Nitziv had Volazhin under his tutelage the most, the Nitziv is the one that's a, that that was the Rosh Hashiva when you had many many other all the later Dolim that we know of learned by the Nitziv. Nitziv himself, his derech was a pshat. Nitziv himself has the many stories about him that he wasn't born about Kishon. Those are true things. His his mother was incredible. His Avas was incredible. Um, it is a story where he once had a, a, a he, he once spoke a learning with Reb Chaim. Briska, and he told Reb Chaim at three in the morning. He called Reb Chaim to to tell him he found the terrets. Reb Chaim Briska came and he apologized. He was late because he had to wash the tilsidayim when he got up and make birchas and make birchas haTorah. The Nitziv was was horrified and he said, "I never thought I'd have a grandson who at three in the morning was sleeping already." Nitzivza's mother was incredible. His farim, his first sefer, was an incredible sefer um, on on Shiltis or Bachaygoyen, which nobody used to learn. It's 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 one of the primary farim of the Goyen and uh, of the Goyenim, not the Goyen, the Goyenim. And he wrote uh, Hemek Shaila on it, which is a classic, an incredible work. His later volumes that he put out, he also compared different gear soils. But his derech was pshat. You see it. You see it in his in his in his hemic, uh, in his his hemic davar on chumish. He was also a little more noita. He was involved in 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 chibastion to some degree. He felt positive about being about his yashrat Yisrael. Like we said before, his his general hashkafa on on the chol was. In the right context, in the right place, with the right people, it's something that has value to itself. But again, he was very strong that in the yeshiva tzachorim, he was not not everyone agreed with him. But that was the that was the netziv's, uh, you know, that's what the netziv felt. Part of the netziv's, part of the makabe patish of how the yeshiva fell apart was when the netziv started getting old and he felt he can't take, he can't control the yeshiva. He took in his son Reb Chaim Berlin, was Rav in, Ma- in Moscow, to help him to become the future of Yeshiva. Talmidim got very involved, they felt Reb Chaim Berlin is very frum, too frum for them, 
fanatic and they mastered to the government and that started the whole people didn't have the hazard to say to the Nitziv, about the Nitziv, but Rabchaim Berlin, that's when, the, that's when it exploded and that's brought the ship down basically. The third one was Rabchaim Briska who even though the Mahalach in, in Volozhin was very pshad oriented learning all the Masechtas, knowing them, chazing them they had very interesting story. they would learn five blad be'iyun six blad be'kiyas, and they would learn all the rush on the Nyanim on Fridays and you know, it was very different than we would have in our yeshivas. Reb Chaim Briska changed radically in those dozen years. He he changed the direction of the learning. There were some people who completely became, you know, mishubit. They went with his derech, like like Reb Ochper, like Reb Chanan, like uh, like uh, Reb Shimon. We spoke about. Chaska Bramsky was there for a short kufa and so on. They, they were all they took on his derech. There were some there were others who sort of wove in his derech like um, Reb Chaim Moise Reb Chaim Moise understood it. Reb Chaim Moise you know has, has it but he also was a little bit weary of it. But I'll upon him that that revolution happened in those dozen years really when the the, the Rosh Hashivas of next generation would become Talmidim of Chaim Briska. Volozhin resisted introducing the Muslim movement as a movement, and again, the, the Nitziv said Divrei Agoda in his Chumashir, they, they spoke occasionally, but, but learning Musa the way that the Balin Musa envisioned it, they were, they were very, very, they, they did not like it, and they resisted it. There are a lot of famous Vertlach that Reb Chaim Briska answered that, you know, you know, medication is good for people not well, Baruch Hashem Volozhin were all well and healthy and so on and so forth, and it resisted. Once Volozhin closed and other yeshivas opened up, within a short time, basically, um, Musa was introduced in almost all yeshivas with the mashkiach and everything. We'll speak about that more when we get to Slabotka and so on. So, I guess summing up a few things. First of all, Volozhin was the first understanding that yeshivas need to be a world unto their own. They're not just another branch of a community. The idea of a rabbi being mechazik each other was very important. Another element that Reb Chaim Volozhin introduced um, was as follows. People used to eat tag. The community supported you and it was the generosity of the community and let's say a Rav a, a, a became a Rav in a, in a nice community, part of his salary was they would support 10 Yeshiva Bachrim. The support Yeshiva Bachrim was they would be housed voluntarily, they'd be fed in a different house every day. It was degrading, it was stuckadic. The Balabas looked like he's doing you a favor. He used to make the worst meal. You ended up eating leftovers five times a week. It was a bracha, they could have leftovers five times a week. And it always was on Yeshiva Bachar's days. He was always looked upon, you're taking the bread away from our kids. Who wants you? There was a lot, it was degrading. He reversed it. By collecting money and paying people to cook for the Bachrim, the Bachrim became the kings. They were the ones that people vied for. They were paid for it, and so on and so forth. So the Kvaitish Altaira also increased dramatically with Reb Chaim Volozhin. Rav Chaim Volozhin instituted the, the, the mindset of raising finances, raising money for yeshivas. He sent out shluchim, shluch rabbanans. It became a whole mindset in its own right. That was, that was um, part of it. 
So he established the idea of having a tziba together, the idea of Olam Torah being an Olam Torah. He wrote the Sefer Nefesh Chaim, which became a certain hashkafiyah side of the Litvisha world vis-a-vis the Chassidish world. Um, his, his, um, the Netziv who took over, you know, after one or two others, the Netziv himself um, finalized the way the way Velazhin worked. Um, he himself brought to us um, a, a, a the, the first of all he brought the works of Gaonim into into the light. His his, his Hemek Shale did that. His Hemek Dover is a classic. His Tsura, everything about him, a certain a certain mildness, a certain um of Mabrius. The Ruach of Asmada was brought in by the Netziv even more. And Reb Chaim Briska finally introduced the Halimut, which took off from him afterwards. The Avalajan also unfortunately brought out some of the latent problems in Amaisid, and those problems became um, unfortunately part and parcel of Amaisid. How much do you have a right to look after the Bachram, to see what they're doing, to throw out somebody who can affect other people? Um, how, how do you ensure continuity? Um, when when change happens, um, all of those things were were things that once something went from being personal, being institution, needed to be addressed. But so definitely, Velazhin was the first floor of the yeshiva world as we know it today, and its and and its second floor was probably laid by Slabatka, which we'll speak about uh, day after tomorrow, Mr. Shem. Any questions? Any points? Tomorrow, Slabatka. I believe it was not in Belajan, but it, 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 I mean, I don't know what Reb Chaim, I mean, I assume he learned everybody else, you know, whatever, I, I don't know exactly, what, but it, it, it came once the other yeshiva started, started coming prominence. My hashara is probably through Slabotka, where Reb Moshe Mordechai became the Magad Shir, and the Alta was the one that was Kveyat Atsura, and, and that's where it became a lot more, I, I, it, it's it, it's more the standard of issues you know today with a focus on Russian Mazikin. That's that's my sense. And Velazhin don't find any of that. Velazhin learning straight was the norm. That was the way they always learned. Um, and there was Reb Chaim had people, he had people that didn't, that thought that the Der Halimut is strange, and 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 so on. They they wrote about it, but the Maisa, it, it the, the 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 best and the brightest Reb Zalman, the best and the brightest. What were taken in by it. But 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 it, it was it was a norm. It, it said it was normal. In other words, it made sense. It ma- it made sense because you can't say the Torah you say in Russian Mazikin in 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 in, um, in Beitza, and you can't say and the, the idea was to I think it sort of followed because it made sense and, and once there was a certain surah how to do it that, that What? <laughs> yeah. Why were the problems with the Bachram? Both ways to be there in the treatment of the Rosh Hashiva and the skull of worse than any other Yeshiva. Um, 
So, first of all, there was no other yeshiva. One. Two. The later yeshivas, they had a mashkiach. And part of mashkiach's job was to, to not allow anything like it. In other words, Velozhin was open house, basically. It was like Lahablov Adol's University in that sense. You have very harsh people sitting and learning. You don't tell them what to do. And, and there was there was the Musa the part of when people speak against Musa, nobody nobody feels nobody's against Yerushalayim. But part of the Musa movement was this control over the yeshiva. And and if somebody is perceived as being a rotten apple, you show them the door. They didn't happen at Velosha. You, you, you know, some of, the, some of the less pleasant things, like checking people's books and what they're reading and what's coming into the yeshiva and, 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 and what people are looking at, that, that was part of the Muslim movement, of, of the movement as a movement, and it was not a Belazian. That's one. Two, I don't think, part of what Musa did was it offered a certain world perspective, especially yeshiva like Slabotka, um, Mir, Abiruchim, Kel, Nevardik. There was a certain section where you learned about what the world is about and what you're going to do and things like that. It filled the Bachel, it filled necessary places. In, in, in Velashim, you sat to learn, but to talk about life and the world and, and what's good and what's bad, that you had to read a book for. It wasn't there in Velashim. So I think that that was part of what the Muslim movement replaced. There was more than just saying you should be a good person. The good mashkichim gave you a certain broader perspective on life, which filled that void that was there. And what we call Ashkafa today, but but those days was more about what's the right, what's the good, why is the world so rotten, and, and what are people about, and, and how does a person be a good person. Things of that nature. It, it didn't. It didn't exist. It, it, I mean, the, 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 in, in Belarusian, and I think that was part of the of the issues. What? Did Sim never thought to, never thought to introduce it? Didn't Sim spoke about it? Sim has ideas in Chumash, but it never it, it, it never became the focal point. In, in, in Slabotka, Nevardek, Kelm, Rebiruchem. Rehul Shmuz was the focal point of the week, and people were in awe of, of, of his understanding of things. Slabotka, the Alta Shmuz was the highlight, and, and his understanding of life, and, and so on. All of these things um, happened later on. In, in, in Volozhin, the Nitzivs was a beautiful commission, people liked it, but that was it. It, it. it was not, it didn't have that standing, and that probably was one of the reasons for it. Did they learn in Russian? Did they learn in older Muslim Did they learn Mishlei? There was there was no official Muslim say that. So there was A guy writes between two to four was 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 Benastar in yeshiva, and from Bachrim would look at more Rishayim and Chuvas farim, and other Bachrim would learn Haskalos farim. That's what a guy writes like his, his memoir again. These are memoirs. So, so if somebody, there was no, there was no seder for it. So if somebody had an idea that he wanted to learn, he could learn it. Somebody needed drasha. Somebody was interested. It, it was not seen as being an important part of the day's learning. For simple balabatim, yes, chayvus and ibneris amor was important. Like the 
it was seen as not being important. Yes, correct, hundred percent. Like a brisk, you know, it, 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 it wasn't that they they didn't hold it to be good. They just didn't feel it needed to be. Can we assume that all of them she she learned that? You can't assume anything. I mean, it's, it was basically the shita was. If somebody suffering from kaiva, you send them to learn Musa. You know, that. I don't think anybody so learns. So Reb Chaim Lozha was very different. Reb Chaim Lozha learns because learn Tanakh. Reb Chaim Lozha had to learn Tanakh. Reb Chaim Lozha wrote they should learn Tanakh with Rashi and Radak. Reb Chaim Lozha was a kolatayr called the Gid, like 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 the Goyim. So Tanakh is is according to Moshe, this is baratayr. And 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 then well, I have a riot to go and learn Mishnah because he wrote a pirush on it. It's not Mishnah; he would have written the pirush without learning it. So it's, it, 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 it didn't. It wasn't. It was not, you know, in that world. The guy, in fact, the guy learned TikTok, and so did Chaim Balaz and no TikTok, and so did the Nitziv. But 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 in the and other that was part of the guy's tradition. By everybody else, Gemara Paiskin was the Iker, and that was it. You know, you you, you learned Chumash when you were a kid. If you were smart, you start learning Mishnah and Gemara, and and that's it. That people learned it a tremendous amount. I mean, 11 blood a week is an accomplishment, and you could be tested on blood a week. Um, you know, it, it was. So, in in in, first of all, they all write to tremendous their parents. There's no there's no safer. The only thing that I've seen, Reb Chaim Velozhin has for Aris and Rav. He says that Maisa Rab is, is, is true. And two places he says it's common mistakes that people made about the coin. Shvachachon Shivchacha and something else. That was that was the times. What? Zechon Zechon also right. Those are the two areas where he disagrees with the Sefer. How many? He says he also said he's not sure. Maybe the different kufis in the coin, but Akapanim he argues on that. In Kabbalah, I'm not aware that any of the Talmudim argued with him. I'm not aware that he, you know, I'm not aware that there was any, he, he really, he, there was no interaction. Go to Talmudim with Yechidim. So we had, so Hasidim made the argument, at least the, the Babish Hasidim made yeah. the argument, that, that, the, that the, the Nefesh HaChayim is a mis, misunderstood, the Gaid Shita in Kabbalah sometimes. Is that a credible argument? It's very hard how somebody who was not part of the Gaid's Cheder, and never learned the Goyen after Reb Chaim Velozhin and probably didn't, doesn't know what the Goyen said to make that argument. They say something, Reb Chaim Velozhin says something that's strange and again, it's clearly not understood correctly. It, it's clearly, he clearly means something a little different and that's how most people understand it. Nobody today sees a machloikis be'etzim. Let me explain something to you. All, all of those machloikis are in basics and it doesn't make sense. It makes a lot more sense. Let me give you an example. Everyone holds, I don't think about Tanya holds, that if you do a mitzvah with kavana, but you don't do it halakhali proper, that, that you have something out of it. I don't think so. But, but Lemaise, um, half a kilometer. But Lemaise, he, um, the, the point, the, the point is, the, the point is that, um, there was an emphasis when you talk and you say davening without kavana is worthless. Do you take that kipshutoi or, or, or do you say this aflaga? So the chassidim took that kipshutoi. Rav Chaim Velozha said chas v'shalom. 
but but they both meant the same. Same with Simpson. Say Kadosh Baruch was everywhere. So if that means that I can gamble the casino, and since Kadosh Baruch is here, I'm davening on Kadosh Baruch Hu, That's trade. But if you say a Kadosh Baruch Hu is not in business place, and I can do what I want in my business place, and I, and and a Kadosh Baruch Hu is in the base medrash, that's also trade. So if you look at it, they were both dealing with extremes. It, it can't be there's a machloikas if a Baruch is everywhere. If Simpson means this, that none of these things are so basic that they, that a Baruch made a place where it doesn't exist. There's no such thing. But the question was, do you look? How do you look at it? Do you tell people it's up to you, or do you tell people everything is rebbeinu So it depends on the person. If you tell people, if a guy, what? No one can hold that it's a reality in the sense that there is no. What does it mean? What do those words mean? He's not there. He, he doesn't occupy place. None, none of that stuff. You know, Ramos Shapiro told me adamantly. You know, and nobody in the area feels that there's any machloikis in any. You know, you you, you, you can make those statements. They thought because the way people the way people understood it that caused the problem. Like I tell you, if. if if a person comes along to you and he gives a big check for tzedaka and he feels very, very stuck up about himself and he says, you know, Baruch Hashem, the Torah is there because of me and my, and my check. So you put your arm around him and you say, my kin, it's the You're a pawn in Rebbein Hashem's hands, but it's so Now, I come along, the Roshiva comes to me and asks me for money. I say, you know, it's Rebbein Hashem who gives the money. And, and go to Rebbein Hashem and if he wants me to be a pawn, I'll be a pawn. So you tell him, it's, so which is right? It depends. You know, when, when you're using it together. This is a dog yet from Veloshna. <laughs> so, 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 so somebody will say, I said clearly it's all told you and after everybody show. <laughs> it depends where you where you apply it, where you use those arguments. So the Dugish is also what do you say in the Musa Shmuz? They tell people how wonderful learning is, they tell people how wonderful chesed is. You know, whoa, look at these houses. This is like Swiss chalets. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs>